Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. Sounds good. Well, then let's get started. Um, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. My my newer friend, Sharon, uh, we met when our family moved out here to San Francisco East Bay area. We are super blessed to just kind of fall into this community of people that's really more of a family and um, they've really just taken us in and happens to be a community full of really amazing people doing really amazing things. And so uh, definitely wanted to have your voice on and uh, just let our listeners hear about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, And so first of all, start off by introducing yourself. You're involved in some really amazing work um, that is near and dear to my heart. So just tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from, what you do, all that good stuff. Okay. Again, my name is Sharon Wood and I'm not new to the Bay Area. I moved, well, I was born here in 1960. So I've been here my whole life. Um, I met my husband, Phil, uh, when I was 15. We were high school sweethearts. We've grown up together. Let's see, on our first date, we got in a car wreck and got married a few years later. And we've been married 40 years and we have three grown kids. They're, they're amazing human beings. It's really wonderful to say that we like them and admire them. And they've all gone into like the nursing, firefighter, paramedic kind of route. And um, so they're actually all really busy during Mm -hmm. COVID-19. We live in Pleasant Hill and uh, that's about it. And so my new job, how I, I don't know if we want to go into that now. Sure. So if it's been a little over five years ago now, I found out that a young lady at our church actually had been sold starting for sex at the age of 10 until, and she was 12 when I found out and it'd been going on for two years. So got involved, found an organization called Nudie for Children, and they help provide the care for American girls aged 10 to 18 that have been rescued from sex trafficking. Found them for her and Phil and I have been involved ever since. Um, started volunteering and then, you know, moved to the board. And then now for three years, I've been the executive director, which has just been a mind-blowing experience. That's amazing. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, too, because I have some questions uh, to go along with that. Mm-hmm. And so we'll definitely we'll get to that. Um, and so my first question for you, though, which everybody knows, this is what I ask all of my guests. <laughs> is that if we were gathered around a table physically, which I would love to be right now because this quarantine thing is just, you know, it's killing the extrovert in me and the connector. Um, But if we were actually gathered around a table right now, uh, live and in person instead of virtually investing in a group of young leaders, what would you be feeding us? Okay. Well, first of all, you'd have to know almost no matter the weather, we'd be outside. I'd love to be outside. So unless it's rain, if it's cold, Sorry, bring a sweater. We'll sit around the fire pit. And then we'd have a nice glass of wine and maybe for hors d'oeuvres. We would have, I love grilled artichokes. Ooh, and I marinated with olive oil and um, balsamic glaze and salt and pepper. And you put them so they're kind of charred on the grill. 
And then we'd have a big salad and maybe some grilled salmon and veggies. And then if there's kids around, they love to make s'mores over the fire pit. So we do that. But I love to sit outside. I, I love to be outdoors. When I'm working, as I'm working at home by myself, I'll go sit out front and bring my laptop just so there's some sunshine and people because <laughs> I'm an extrovert as well. That sounds amazing. I want to be at your table. I know. Let's go. Sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that that's probably, I'm, I'm trying to think, I think that's got to be the most like elaborate answer that I've, oh. that I've ever had. I love it. Grilled artichoke. We love to have people over. We love to. And it's, um, and if dinner's run, I don't get uptight about that. We'll order Chinese food or something or pizza. And um, we just love to have people over all sorts of different kinds of people. And if it's big groups, everybody's talking at once. And at Thanksgiving for, gosh, almost 30 years, we had 50 people for dinner. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty fun. We like it. There's something really sweet and sacred about gathering around the table with your people. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And new people. Yeah. I love inviting. And I think that's one of the things I've really learned over the past years is the amount of people that are lonely and really don't have anywhere to gather. Mm-hmm. And um, what a gift that is to be able to invite them in. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the best compliments I ever get, got in my life was one of the girls in our Sunday school class. We were talking about gifts, and one of the girls said, Sharon always makes sure that no one's left out. Mm. And I, thought, I thought, oh, that's such a nice thing. That was one of the best compliments I've ever received. That's really sweet. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely your heart, too. And I've seen that just in the very short amount of time that we've been here and known you. So it definitely shows. Um, and so then my next question is, what is it that you feel like, at least in this season, that you bring to the leadership table? Well, I lead a team of, there's six of us all together. And as a leader, you're always responsible for good communication. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this season, I think more than ever, to check in and make sure that my team is healthy spiritually, mentally, physically, and that we're staying connected. Uh, Otherwise it's too easy to end up in silos and everybody's doing their own thing and you lose the purpose and the mission of the work Mm -hmm. or mistakes are made or whatever, because um, you're not communicating. And this work doesn't stop because there's a pandemic. Yeah. We'll still traffic kids. And so we just Mm -hmm. brought in a new girl maybe 10 days ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the midst, and this is a really interesting time to be talking about connection and communication because we are in the midst of this, you know, quarantine and people, we have people listening from all over the world. And so I know different locations are in different levels of, you know, lockdown, shelter in place, social distancing, things like that. But everybody is kind of experiencing this new thing and trying to figure out how to lead through it. Um, what are some of the things that you have had to do or put in place, uh, not just in the whole scope of your leadership, but especially in this season to make sure that communication lines are remaining open? What are some of the things that you're doing intentionally habits or practices that you have developed to help with that? Well, first of all, I'm new to Zoom, (laughs) so I have employed Zoom a lot because there's something about even if you can't be in the same room, there's something about being able to see someone. And I was talking to our case manager over Zoom this morning. We had our weekly meeting and and, and encouraged her. She's going to be communicating with our graduates via Zoom at this time just to check in because when you can see someone, you get a better read for how they're really doing. 
-hmm. So that's something that's been new. And I would also say, I just feel a sense from God that this is also a time of rest and connection with him. And this is a job that never ends. Mm -hmm. It never, ever ends. If you let yourself, you can make yourself a crazy person with it because if something's not happening, it's always on your heart and your mind. And so it's been really uh, encouraging the team to use this time to rest too. Mm -hmm. be with your family, make some dinners. You know, um, I don't know if things will slow down for us as this draws out and people are sheltering in place. Maybe there will be fewer calls, but, um, and we're not, we're not taking, using our time driving, you know, to the South Bay for a meeting or driving here and driving there. So, that does um, provide some extra space and to use it to rest. Yeah. Connect with God. It just feels like a good, a really good time to connect with the Lord. Mm, That's good. There's two things that you brought up that are kind of stirring some questions in me. So I'm going to start with the first one. You talked about the importance of um, communication and community so that we don't become silos. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What is it exactly that you mean by becoming a silo? And then talk a little bit too about just the importance of community in leadership. Because I think for a lot of us, our roles are very much people-based and people-oriented and team-driven. But also at the same time, I know for a lot of leaders, the work that they do, whether it's you know, it's not people-based, whether it's admin work or it's virtual work, or, you know, they're not actively engaged with leading a team. We still need that connection and camaraderie. So can you talk a little bit about, regardless of the context of leadership that you happen to be in, what it means to be siloed and the importance of making sure that we're avoiding that? Well, I think siloed, first of all, you're missing a whole lot of gifts. You know, if everybody's working in their individual silo, you're missing the gift of the other person and their, not only their personality stuff, but their talents and their skill set that they bring. I also think it's just people feel lonely and unappreciated when they're working in a silo. Or um, I try to, I I use the language, um, like if someone's made a mistake, I would say, well, we did this. Okay, because we're going to succeed as a team and we're going to fail as a team. And and it's okay. You know, we have tried we try new things all the time. And I want people to have the freedom and actually be encouraged. I want them to be encouraged to try new things and take risks and know that we're going to buy in as a group, as a team. And we're going to do everything we can to make this work. And if it doesn't. okay, let's look at it together without pointing fingers, there's no pointing fingers, we're a group. And so let's look at this together. Where did we go wrong strategically? And how can we do this better next time? And I think too, you know, that iron sharpens iron. We have such a diverse team. Oh my gosh, it could not, we're diverse in every aspect and just personalities. You know, we have one that's an absolute apostle driver, very little time for chit chat, straight to business, moves a thousand miles a minute and has a hundred ideas a second. I mean, she's constantly, and then the other one's hippy dippy. And that's her words. She describes herself as hippy dippy. So I think by tying us all together like that, it also, grows us in the spirit of grace and having patience and really valuing other people's personalities. Because if we were all like me, the team would really lack. 
And if we were all like our apostle driver, first of all, we'd all go insane because she goes a million miles a minute. And if we were all the laid back, be dippy, let's talk all day, you know. So there is there's a lot of um, joy. There can also be frustration, but that helps us, you know, that's to love mercy, right? And to practice grace with one another every day. So it grows us all up. So, so now my second question that I had, I'm going to have to get to eventually, because now you've made me think of something else. Um, I think what you're saying is so important and it's difficult, yes, to work with people, but also that's what we're designed for is community and connection. And so I love what you said about how you have such a diverse team, especially in personalities and you kind of got you know, both extreme ends of the spectrum and everything in between. And I know that can be an incredibly challenging place in leadership is when you're either part of a team or you're leading a team and everybody's super different. Talk Mm -hmm. about some of the things that you've done and maybe some resources that you would recommend for leaders to be able to not only grow in their own self-awareness of how they're wired and gifted, but also in understanding the wiring and giftings of their team and then how you get everybody kind of still able to work together, how we're able to really strengthen one another and not just be clashing all the time. Yeah. I'm not sure I have resources, but two things come to mind. One, I'm from a huge family and I grew up in a diverse family, racially mixed, black, white, Korean, very different. We have different political views, different religious views we have we're so and we love each other and have a deep amount of respect so I think my mom taught me a lot just you know my life experience growing up and um if you look at who Jesus led to I mean it was a really talk about a a mushmash group of people (laughs) um and he brings them together um And I think what God calls us to do as leaders is to see the people that we lead like he sees them. Mm. And one of the, one of the tools that I use um, more than anything else is invitation and challenge. So I think once people feel heard and valued and, and I'm not talking about fake compliments, nobody, nobody wants that, but to really see what they bring to the table. And to acknowledge that and to see people for that. Um, so you've invited them into this relationship. You've created a safe space. And then you have, you've, you've raised that relational capital so that you can bring the challenge on. And I think when a team, a leader creates the culture, right? Mm-hmm. So when a leader creates a culture of trust, I know that every person on my team wants to make, sorry, wants to make sure that every child that's been trafficked for sex gets the help that they need and they're willing to work to get it done. They know that everybody on that team has that same passion and goal. They also know that we share that in common. And then we share that, you know, unless the Lord builds this house, you know, we build in vain. And so we keep that again, as a leader, you keep that at the forefront that this is God's calling. I, I was reading in my quiet time, and you'll just cut me off if you want me, if you want to go somewhere else. (laughs) In my quiet time, this was yesterday, and it was, you know, Jesus is carrying his cross, and they conscripted, uh, is it 
uh, Cyrene, Simon, Simon, mm-hmm. Cyrene. And I feel like I've been conscripted to this work. I mean, literally just plucked out of my life what I was doing um, almost with no choice. Of course, we always have a choice, but this was such a God calling. And then as I was reading, I thought they were mocking Jesus and saying, like, why don't you get off the cross? You know, and he stayed on out of obedience and love. And I have spent three years, at least two of them, complaining to God about get me out of here. This job hurts. This job hurts and it hurts a lot sometimes. And I don't want to do this anymore. And I want to go back to where I just played violin or something and my job was done or you teach a Sunday school class, you know, I'm done. And just how he's grown me into this position of wanting to stay here out of obedience and love to him and for his people and for his people that have been hurt. So I love that he never, he doesn't give up on us and he keeps growing us into stretching us beyond our imagination sometimes. That's huge. I love what you said about obedience and love, that that's what keeps us on, you know, so it kept Jesus on the cross. That's what keeps us in the places that God has called us to, even when we're difficult and challenging. Um, Can you... Can you just unpack that a little bit more? Because, and I've had my own seasons where I was in a position that I very much knew God had called me to, and and it was hard, and I was being stretched, and I was being grown, and I was being challenged, and I I did, I wanted out, I just wanted something easier, but also it was made very clear to me that, hey, this is where I have you for this season. I remember one year. Um, cause you know, every year I, and we've talked about this, I do, you know, I ask the Lord for a word for the year. Like, what is my word that I'm standing on this year? What is it that you're inviting me into? And I remember the, the year where I was just really pleading with him to give me anything else to do yeah. the word that he gave me was endure. And, and I, I, I had that word is not the word that I was looking for. Endure is not what I asked you for. And, and then of course, years later, when the season came for that time to actually end, and it was very clear that he was moving me on. Well, then I didn't want to give it up. Then I was begging and pleading, you know, Oh no, let me stay. And so, um, can you just unpack that idea of love and obedience a little bit more and how do we grow in wisdom and discernment to kind of, to be able to navigate, okay, is this just me being stretched and this is truly where God wants me and I need to surrender to that out of obedience? And is this actually the Lord moving me? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is when we can't unsee things, Mm-hmm. We can't unhear things. We can't unknow things. I can't just stop all of a sudden knowing that our kids are being sold for sex. It just isn't going to go away. I've seen it. I've seen the damage that it does. I've seen, you know, the little girl in our living room sobbing, going, you don't know what I've done. I'm dirty. I'm so dirty. She was 12 years old and her trafficker was in her front yard. Uh, the police said he was 32. She's 12 years old. So I think there's just... God calls us to, you know, do justice. And then, and we're supposed to be his justice. I mean, he brings justice. Ultimately, we we all know that. But to act um, 
like one of his kids, you know, we're a kingdom kids We're I'm his daughter. And so I can't unknow and unsee the things. And I've, I'm someone who I love change. Uh, but I have, this is the first job I've ever had that wasn't a job that I, I've, I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned that um, I like completion. I like to go like do something and finish it, you know, like clean a closet or give a violin lesson or go play a concert. I'm done. And you just walk away your merry way and you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've learned that um, there's change and then there's stretching. And this job, when I came onto this team, I'd never worked in a corporation ever. I've worked at church and I've worked in music and that's all I've ever done. So all of a sudden I have this high bar. I don't know what a PNL is and a balance sheet. And now I've got this, you know, oh, you need to raise $800,000 and manage it and do all this. And then there's all the legal rules in the state of California. We don't even need to go into that, but that's been a complete mess with the state. So to be stretched like this beyond my capacity to throw events, you know, and, um, and have to raise money. And it was beyond change. It was stretched, stretched. But I think I spent the first two years whining a lot Mm -hmm. um, inside, not outside. The other thing is I disconnected a lot from people because the job laid so heavy on me that I mean, I would stop going to like Taco Tuesday because who wants to hear it? You know, everybody wants to go and have a good time. And you're like, oh, just got a call about a 14 year old that was sold for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so it's like, who wants to hear that? So you can isolate yourself. And again, the Lord and all of his wisdom and patience. I love his patience um, with me. This has probably been almost a year ago. I was doing my quiet time and um I was probably whining about something (laughs) and uh, I just heard that voice, you know, that, you know, isn't yours. It was like, what'd you expect? Mm. What did you honestly share? What did you expect? This, this isn't heaven. You live in an evil place and this is a battle and I've put you in this battle and stop your crying. (laughs) Stop your crying. The girls don't need a wimp. They need a warrior. And I've called you to this. Now pick it up and go. And so, (laughs) like I said, I'd love to say people say, oh, you're such a saint. No, 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 no. (laughs) This was more of a throw you in the pool. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you're just kind of splashing around trying to figure it out. But you know that it's people say, you know, God doesn't call you where he's not going to equip you. And um, I've kind of gone kicking and screaming half of the way, but I'm I'm past that now, at least for this season. I'll let you know if I get there again. (laughs) Well, I love two things. I love the distinction that you made between stretch and change. Oh, so different. And, and both of them can be really uncomfortable, but I love that discernment point that is this a place where I'm uncomfortable because God is stretching me and I need to lean into that and obedience, or am I uncomfortable because God is inviting me to change? And, and either way there, there's a discomfort, but I love that stretch versus actually changing my position as a distinction point. That's, that's really good. 
And stretching, I'm sure you've heard people, oh, following God is such a joy and all this. It is, but it is scary. (laughs) He takes me places that it's like, I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. Literally, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And he just tells me to go. And and I I have whined, but I've gone. And then I'm, like I said, I'm uh, in a different space now as in regards to the whining. And for almost three years now, I've been really praying, Lord, for my replacement. And I'm in no, I'm not going anywhere for years. Um, But Lord, I feel like the person that started New Day for Children 11 years ago, God just had the super smart guy. Oh my gosh, I could have never done what he did. But he was a silo worker, so nobody knew what anybody was doing. So then I I do see how my gifts and my life experiences have been good for New Day for Children and its growth and where we're at. I am a networker. I am an inviter. I want everybody to come to the table because um, you have a part to play here. And to me, this is also a great equalizer, if that's, that's not really the right word, but an invitation, because whether you're a Jesus follower or not, most people think that selling our kids for sex is wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful time to invite people in and to share the love of Christ and what we're doing with these kids. And we take kids of all faiths, walks of life, everything, and they're open, they're um And they're introduced to the Lord and to Jesus, but nobody's cramming it down their throat. It's there. And no matter what they decide, they're loved like Jesus. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Yeah, it's been a season. So what I really love about what you're doing right now, and you mentioned how this, it wasn't expected. It definitely wasn't part of your plan. It wasn't anything that you had studied or prepared for. Your background is, you know, in helping out with Sunday school and music. And I was a music major. (laughs) (laughs) And so now here you are in this role and especially too at a later point in life. And so, um, Could you just speak, I'm thinking about all the people listening who kind of fall on, on one end or the other, you know, either someone who completely relates to that and says, oh my gosh, yes, my life just took a drastic turn, um, did a full 180. This was not my plan. And now all of a sudden I find myself in this position that I am not trained for, that I'm not educated for, that I was not expecting. And I'm kind of trying to figure out how to stay afloat, right? Bit of encouragement might you give to them? And then, well, let me just, let me just start with that. Cause then I have another group of people that I want you to speak to, but uh, how would you encourage the people who are listening to what you're saying and are thinking, yes, oh my gosh, that's exactly where I am in my leadership right now. My word of encouragement, and maybe this is more advice than encouragement would be to lean in and not out. I spent too much time pushing out and I didn't even mention that I took a huge pay cut to do this like a gigantic pay cut. (laughs) And I was whining, you know, not to other people, but to myself constantly about how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And, you know, again, I thank the Lord for his patience. Um, He's just been, come on, you know, I've I've got you. And the truth is he has. Mm -hmm. And so my encouragement would be to lean into the Lord, surround yourself with wise people that have different skill set than you. 
Um, and I would say as tough as it's been, I wouldn't want to have missed this for anything. I'm not the same person anymore. Mm, that's yeah. Okay. yeah. I felt that. I said it. Um, and then, so my other question would be, um, and obviously this won't apply to everyone. You know, some of us are definitely going to start on a path and get to continue that path for our entire lives. Um, but there are those of us who are going to, at some point, probably experience something very similar, that everything just gets completely flipped on its head unexpectedly. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking of the person, if, I, if it was me, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when I was still walking on the path that I had planned for my life, if I was listening to something like this, I would have been thinking, oh, well, I'm glad that's not my story. That'll never be me. That'll never be me because I've got a plan and I I, I know what I'm doing with my life. That's exactly never, never, never say never. And so and maybe, maybe that's the word right there, but I wanted to ask you to maybe even just kind of prophetically, like, what would you say to someone who feels like I've got a plan, I've got a path, and I'm going for it. <laughs> be very careful and aware because <laughs> you're going to be, no. Um, so I've got a plan and I'm, well, I think that's part of being a Jesus follower. Not think, I know it is. It's part of following God. And there's nothing wrong with plans. There's nothing wrong with making plans. The Lord calls us to be wise and to use all of our gifts. And he's given us minds. So that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But I think when the plan becomes the God, mm. that's when we get into trouble. When our plan is the God and we bow to that instead of what the Lord is saying and calling us yeah. to. That's really good. That's, yep, that's exactly it right there. When the plan becomes the God. That's good. And it's easy to do, right? Oh, sure. Or just, yeah, it's just easy to do. Mm-hmm. I think also, you know, the leadership square. Mm-hmm. So I took this job definitely unconsciously incompetent. I mean, I knew I didn't have the skill set, but I had no idea that I didn't have the <laughs> skill set. I had a clue what I had said yes to. And, you know, it's that's okay. Because had I known, I probably would have been too afraid to say yes. So, yeah. That's really good. So, okay. So then the two final things that, um, I want to ask you about one, just for the sake of educating us, because I think obviously, you know, things are, um, there's lots of organizations doing similar work to you and they've got a lot of publicity and, and that's really amazing, but I still am constantly, um, just really surprised at the number of people I encounter who, um, who are shocked to hear that human trafficking still happens, who, who think, well, you know, either we're in denial or, well, that could never happen here. Maybe it happens in other countries, but it doesn't happen here. And so I'm, it just never ceases to amaze me the number of people um, through no fault of their own. You know, if it's something that you haven't encountered or experienced, obviously it's easier to just pretend like it doesn't exist, but can you just educate us a little bit uh, just about kind of, the work that you do and how it is very, very real. I'd love to. So first of all, um, there's never been as many people enslaved as there are today. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, the stats are all over the map, but a good, a pretty reliable one is 40 million, but it could be as high, I've heard as high as 70 million. And most people think, um, I'll hear quite often, oh, you mean people are, these are girls from Thailand or India being shipped over in cargo, shipping cargo containers, which is still horrible and wrong. But the statistic is, is 84% of the kids that are being sold for sex in the United States are American born. These are our kids that we're selling. Um, it's incredibly lucrative and that's why it's, it's, um, it's the second fastest growing industry in our country, criminal industry in our country, because a drug or a weapon you can sell once, but a child you can simply take and then sell again and again. And those younger, the child, the higher the demand and the more um, they can charge. So it's incredibly lucrative. We've seen New Day for Children has been around 11 years. We've had every race, every body type, every socioeconomic level. It really has, it knows no discrimination. Um, we've had a police chief's daughter, UC Berkeley, PhD candidates, kids, a pastor's daughter. You know, it's, it's technology has taken a problem and put everybody at risk, everybody's children. That being said, if you're in foster care or a group home, um, the stat that's out there most often is 60% um, of the kids that are being sold are in the foster care system somehow. So, and obviously if you come from a family where no one is tracking you, if there's drug abuse, um, it just absent parenting, you're also more at risk. Um, the, the figure that's put out if, a child runs away from home, a trafficker has already spotted them and started grooming them within 48 hours. I mean, it's insane. It's very, and I'll tell you, we, our newest girl who's from just a, I don't know, 10 miles from me, um, comes from a great family with a great mom. And she was groomed at her local high school here for a long time. And there, it's not that she was, dumb or anything like that they're good at this they're very 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 good at this and you can manipulate a child and um and that's how it happened and it was uh her mom that found out and and reached out um let's see what else do i want to say oh well you had said that there's a lot of people doing this work there's almost nowhere in the country for minors to go long term for long-term residential care and therapy. And it takes a long time. Our average stay is 15 months. I do want to make it clear though, that New Day for Children doesn't do the actual caregiving. So what we do, we raise the funds and then we partner with these amazing handful of programs and uh, Christian boarding schools in the country. And then we match the girl to the best program. Uh, right now we have relationships with four. There's two more that are supposed two more homes that are supposed to open, one in Idaho and one in Washington, but they haven't been able to get open yet. There's only one home for minor boys in the entire country that have been rescued from sex trafficking, and that's in Florida. Yeah, so that I mean that's what's really missing. And you know, you can go um to a program maybe where you could stay for a week or two but that's it's it it's long we're finding it's an eight to ten year healing process mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean we're supporting them financially the whole time but we'll still pay for therapy or whatever it is that they need 
Um, like I said, the girls average stay in their program with us is 15 months, but we've had girls for over four years as well. So it sounds like, uh, this is an industry that, um, if someone feels their heart tugged and moved towards this type of work, we need you. Oh yeah. Yeah. We need you. It's really hard work because the girls are traumatized. We had a girl from Southern California last year that came and I met her. I think it was the second day she was up at one of our partner campuses up North second day or third day after she'd arrived. And I went up to meet her and introduce and just get to know her. And she was out on the lake in a canoe and just smiling. I have this picture. It's just warm jar. She's being a kid because she's a kid, right? And then within a half an hour later, she was in the dining hall yelling, throwing her plate across the table at another girl, just livid. And then I heard over the next 12 days, she took off into the forest. I don't know how many times, a lot. Um, and then, so somebody has to follow you with a walkie talkie, make sure you're okay. And then she blew off steam and come back and apologize. She broke, I know she broke two dressers and a television set those first couple weeks. And again, always apologize, cleaned up her mess. And then it seems like there comes a point where the girls figure out instead of being angry, that they're grieving. Mm -hmm. And it's like this kind of breaking point they get to, but then you can start to put the pieces again. And the people that do the work with the girls day in and day out are just, they're my heroes. They really are. They are patient and kind and, um, and yet they're wise. I'd be terrible at it because I'm too much of a pushover. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's okay, Annie. But they, they hold the girls accountable for what they do, you know, their actions. And then slowly you see just this wonderful transformation come over the girls. Yeah. So the last thing that I want to ask you about then is, can you talk to us a little bit about rest and self-care? Because obviously the work that you do, and this is true for so many leaders. I mean, whatever context you're leading in, gosh, we can carry the weight of that and the burden of responsibility. I mean, sometimes it's, it's heavy physically. Sometimes it's heavy spiritually. Sometimes it's heavy emotionally. Um, so how do you, and like you said, you can get completely sucked in. I mean, a lot of our leadership roles, they don't turn off. It's not a nine to five where you punch in, complete your tasks, and right. then punch out at the end of the day. It sticks with you. So when it comes to boundaries and disconnecting and rest and self-care and soul care, just give us a little bit of wisdom around that. Well, that's that semicircle <clears throat> that I practice. First of all, it comes down to trust. I think that's the biggest deal and humility. I think it's trust and humility because <clears throat> God is way bigger than I am. I mean, somehow he keeps the world floating in the universe without so much as a string attached to it, which just blows my mind. You know, I just, that's phenomenal. And the other thing is if I burn out, I'm not doing anybody any favors. I'm not doing my team any favors. I'm not doing the girls that we serve and support now any favors. I'm not doing the girls that are going to come to us any favors. So if I have myself in the proper posture before God, 
I have no choice but to bow to him. It's sort of like a blade of grass in the wind. The wind, the grass doesn't have any choice but to bow when the wind comes. When I put God in his proper place, I have to bow to him. And he doesn't say, well, if you feel like it, you can stop working. In fact, just in my quiet time a couple of weeks ago, it was talking about rest. And it said, even it was in Exodus, even in times of planting and harvest, those times are, first of all, they're, um, they're life and death is at, at stake, right, for them. That if you don't harvest and plant, you're not eating. And so they had to trust that the Lord was going to care for them. And I think in God, in his wisdom, also knows that we need to be connected to him. Mm-hmm. And that truly to have real life and to bear real fruit apart from him, we can do nothing. So... Those two things, I think, are big ones for me. Well, you have shared so much goodness with us today. And I just, I want to say thank you on behalf of everyone who's listening. Thank you for sharing your time and your heart. More than that, thank you for the work that you do. I know there's an entire team and there's lots of people who are in But um, thank you just for stepping up and for acting out of obedience and for leading and doing what you do. You are a huge part of rescuing our girls. And that's just so, so, so valuable. And so just thank you for your time today and being willing to share your heart. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.